morning. Been sitting back there for the last 15 minutes listening to worship, trying to figure out why everybody's sitting on this side, or a majority of people are on this side. And I thought, well, the sun's over there. Maybe it's the, what is it? Maybe it's the sun coming in, the warmth. What do you think it is, Rachel? They're on the wrong side? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Look at Steve. He's <laughs> That's good. Hey, a quick announcement on this book, Forgotten God. We're doing a series, Donaldo, that starts oh, Wednesday after Thanksgiving, the 30th. So if anybody's interested in this, these books are five, five bucks, 15 bucks, 15. He's already bought them, so just reimburse him. There's a couple back there, but um, it's going to be a good Bible study. It starts on Wednesday night uh, at 6 o'clock, 6, 6.30. All right, if you have any questions about details, you might want to ask Donaldo. It sounds like I'm off on a couple things. But, um, good to have you guys here. Pretty heavy day today, actually. Uh, some stuff's been going on uh, within the church body, and we'll get into that a little bit later in the message. Uh, I'm sure it'll come up, but if you wouldn't mind praying with me for a few seconds, and then we'll get started. Father, we've been uh, studying your word every Wednesday at a men's group, and last week we talked about this concept of the power which is found um, that is from the gospel, and that, uh, that in the gospel a righteousness is revealed, and we also spoke, Father, and prayed to you and discussed and talked about how it is the foolishness of what is preached to save those who believe, first the Jew and then the Gentile. And it's amazing to me, God, that we can uh, come together and we can just look at your word. We can look at what the apostles focused on and what they taught and what the disciples uh, considered and prayed about. And I pray this morning that you are uh, with me as I speak. And I pray that you're with everyone in here, that they hear what they need to hear. And that uh, somehow you transform the words uh, that come from my mouth and that they are filled with the spirit and they hit the heart of the to hear and that we hear what we need to hear in order to become more like your son and that we understand uh, what it means to repent, uh, what it means to love you, what it means to understand your grace and your mercy. I pray with the families uh, that are here today that are hurting, that you're with them and you, you give them a peace that just completely transcends all understanding. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for over a month now, I've been preaching on this, this subject of baptism and the role that repentance plays in baptism. And, you know, one of my main goals after all of these messages is that people can hear uh, the, the message, whether it's through podcast or whether it's live, and that they gain a knowledge of what true repentance looks like. Because uh, I don't know if we really understand it until we really study it out. And there's a passage that I didn't bring up um, yet. I'll bring it up this morning, and it's kind of the catalyst to go into the, the sermon, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 10, and for those of you that don't have the, all the verses, I, I, this week in a row, I printed out about 20 pages of separate individual pages for the verses, so you want to take notes later, you want to go back and read them, you can instead of flipping through, but uh, if you want to keep up with me, that'd be great, but 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 
verse 10. We're not going to do the 2020 rule because there's a lot, a lot of verses we're going to look at today. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. The ESV version, which I'm slowly transitioning to, says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So there's this concept that is very clear in this, this, these two verses, or this one verse here, and it's there's a difference between godly and worldly. Uh, godly repentance leads to salvation, and worldly repentance leads to death, or worldly sorrow, rather, leads to death. And... Uh, I want to just give a practical example of something uh, that I would say is the difference between worldly and godly. And one, uh, I just wrote here, godly sorrow or grief is a new knowledge that leads to repentant fruit because we have sinned against God and have remorse because we have sinned against God. Worldly sorrow or grief, I believe, is feeling bad because we got caught or because we may have hurt someone else, yet God is not the catalyst for the remorse. So we can have this worldly sorrow because we did something wrong and maybe even feel bad about it, but it's really a sorrow that is based on someone other than God. Um, I've heard stories and I've heard people tell me about it and I've watched movies or whatever and there's the, the, you know, the old, the dad that, that, you know, three or four times a year after work on a Friday, he, he goes to the bar and he has too much to drink and then he comes home and he beats his wife and kids and the next morning he wakes up and he feels terrible. Now, godly sorrow would be him recognizing he has a problem, goes to AA, gets counseling, starts going to a Bible study because he has sinned against God uh, by harming his wife and children. Where worldly sorrow is he feels guilty about it, and then a couple months later, because of the stresses of life and a mortgage, he goes and does it again, and then again, and again. You understand the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. One truly brings repentance unto God and one doesn't. Now, this idea of godly and worldly uh, opens up this idea and this concept of kingdoms. So if you go to Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is, is the beginning of his ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, and... Jesus says... Uh, the word says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went on and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus is entering his ministry. John the Baptist had been put in prison. And Jesus is saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then if you fast forward to Luke chapter 17, the Pharisees had approached him and were talking to Jesus. And in verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 20, Uh, let me get there. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you, or the kingdom of God is among you. 
And so Jesus is entering into his ministry, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then when the Pharisees approached Jesus, and he's in his ministry, he's in his teaching, and he had performed miracles, and he told parables, he says, the kingdom of God is within you, the kingdom of heaven is among you. And I look at the kingdom of the world, and then I look at the kingdom of God. And based on Romans, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, about godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation, where worldly grief produces death, we see two kingdoms that we have the opportunity or the choice to be a part of. We can be a part of the worldly kingdom, or we can be a part of God's kingdom. So this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. And I want to start in the book of Philippians. That's why I put these notes down for you guys, because I've got a lot of Bible verses today. I think there's maybe 15 or so um, to just kind of paint this picture as we go along the way. But in Philippians chapter 3, we're talking about you know, the kingdom that leads to death and the kingdom that leads to life. And Paul is, is just got done kind of challenging the people that he's writing to, saying, I have this pedigree of being a very devout Jewish person. I have uh, a history of, of being of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a, a purebred Jew. I have uh, perfectly upheld the law. I'm a Pharisee. I've persecuted the church. Is, is legalistic righteousness. I'm faultless. And he begins to talk about that, and then he says, but I consider those things a loss because they aren't what are bringing me salvation. So in Philippians chapter 3, he says, not that I've already obtained all this, talking about the resurrection, the fellowship of his offerings, uh, the resurrection from the dead. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, in verse 12. Sounds like Ryan out there in a motorcycle. <laughs> Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. Now there's a lot in this passage. We, there's this concept that I need you to grasp as we work through this message. And we have the process of, of justification and then we have the process of sanctification and then we have the process of glorification or the final glorification. So this process of sanctification is what I believe Paul is referring to here. He had been justified on the road to Damascus, and God knocks him down, and he goes, and Ananias teaches him about Jesus, or he, he, he knows about Jesus because he's persecuting the church, and he's, he's opened his eyes, and it says, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, washing your sins away, and calling on his name, and so Paul is baptized by Ananias, and then he goes and starts his ministry. So that's a, a process of justification, and when he has gone from death to life, and then we have this process of sanctification, and that is the process in which he is in right now, and he's referring to, and he says, I have not obtained the prize, I've, I have or already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining on toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And at some point you think differently, that, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with the others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before now, and I say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. They're on the worldly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
he's talking to the church at Philippi, and he's saying, I'm, I haven't yet obtained this perfection which I want, but I'm straining on toward the goal. I am reaching the prize. I am going towards the prize in order to be called heavenward, in order to be, uh, have my citizenship in heaven. And he says, and we eagerly await a Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I was talking to, uh, Brendan and I were talking to Josh and Leanne this morning, um, and we were, in, we were in that room over there, and we were talking about this very concept of justification, sanctification, and glorification. And this sanctifying work that we're referring to here, that I believe Paul is saying, I, I have not yet taken hold of the prize, because I am pressing on toward the goal to win the prize, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a choice, it's a, it's, a, it's a cognizant choice that we make whether or not we're constantly seeking the kingdom. Whether we're constantly seeking towards serving the kingdom. It's choice. Every day. It's a sanctification process, which Paul's saying, I'm reaching towards. And if you look at a letter that he wrote later to 1 Timothy, he says... Um, I have finished the race, I have fought the fight, or I have fought the fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which God has for those who are waiting for Him, eagerly waiting for Him. And there's this process that we go through to become more like Christ. And I try and look at the world around me and I try and see, okay, we've got this good and evil, this, this worldly sorrow, this godly sorrow which brings regret or which brings repentance and leads to salvation and one leads to death. And if we look around us, we cannot help but see that good and evil is everywhere. I mean, we see it in Hollywood. Hollywood alone, people would say it's evil, but if you look at the movies in Hollywood, there's always a good guy and a bad guy. There's always a good and evil. And it goes back to Superman. Was it, is it uh, Lex Luthor? Is that the bad guy that goes against Superman? I've only seen Superman, it's been 30 years. But we've got, we've got good and evil I mean, you boys up front, you've, have you ever seen Frozen? Yeah? Just admitting it right out in front of everybody, huh? You've seen Frozen, there's a good and there's an evil. Cinderella, there's a good and there's an evil. And we look at real life movies that are based on real life events, and we have American Sniper, we have Lone Survivor, we have 13 Hours of Benghazi, and we see there's a good and there's an evil. And in every one of these situations, the people that are on the evil side and the people that are on the good side, they have what? They have choice. They have choice. And we see it through the entire Bible. We can start in Genesis with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are sitting there, you know the story, you've read it, you've heard it spoke many times, and they're sitting there and they have the opportunity to have the eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, you can eat of anything you want except that. And they chose to disobey God and go outside of his will. You can go a little bit to Cain and Abel. Go a couple chapters later and they go to Cain and Abel. Cain had the choice to offer the same value to God in a sacrifice or as an offering as Abel did. And he didn't. So he chose to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. You can go a little bit further to Joseph, and you can go in Genesis. And I'm going to skip all sorts of stories, but you go to Genesis, towards the end of Genesis 39. It talks about Joseph and his brothers. 
his brothers chose, they made a choice to sell him to the Midianites, a caravan. Go to the nation of Israel. This, to me, is, is a perfect example of the summary of the message at the end, is that you have choice, but God's will is the best choice. And in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8, if you're looking on your phone or you're, you've got the, the hardback. 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you've, ever, if you've not read this passage, I recommend reading the entire chapter because I'm going to summarize towards the end. But starting in verse 1, it says, When Samuel became old, uh, 1 Samuel 8, verse 1 through 9, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. That's, that's odd. We have crooked judges, even back in the Old Testament. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and forsaking and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you should solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. That's the first nine verses. God says, give them a king because they want a king like the rest of the nations, but at least warn them what's going to happen if they choose a king versus they choose the theocracy, which God says, here's the way. I'm going to appoint judges with Aaron. We're going to have judges and Moses and all these people are going to get disputes among you, but the judges became perverted. And so they said, oh, we want a king now. We want a monarchy. And so if you continue on in that chapter, uh, Samuel's told all the words of the Lord to the people. They were asking for a king. He says, this is, the, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons. He'll make them serve uh, and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Some, he, he just gives this laundry. that they, He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to the officials your men servants and maid servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen and the Lord will not answer you in that day. All these things are going to happen and one day you're going to cry out and say, oh God, save us. Please, no. And they replied, the people refused to listen to the prophet Samuel based on what the Lord was saying and said, no, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. We want to be like all the other nations of the world. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord, and the Lord answered. And I can just, without sounding, sounding bad, I can just hear, almost hear God's voice. It wasn't, I don't believe when he responded, it was, listen to them and give them a king. I how I picture God is God saying, listen to them and give them a king. He's warned them and he's told them, you're, choose, you're choosing the wrong thing. And he's heartbroken over it. We have a God who loves us so much 
that when we make choices that are contrary to His will, it breaks His heart. He's not a vengeful God that looks at His people and says, I hope Ryan makes the bad decision so I can show him. I don't see that as the God that we see in the Scriptures and the God that loves us to send His Son for us. I see it as a God who said, if they want to make their own choice, let them make it, and they're going to see what happens. So we see this in the Old Testament. We have choice after choice after choice that contradicts God's will for their lives. And if you go into the New Testament, many of you know this parable well uh, because we've talked about it, and also I think it's the parable that we've all used in ourselves a little bit. I know I have. And it's the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. And we're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to read a few verses. Starting in verse 11, it says, Jesus continued talking about the parable of the lost son. He said, there was a man who had two sons. I want you to picture this. You've heard the story, but try and picture it. This man had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, or give me my inheritance. So he divided the property, his property, the father's property, between the two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got his stuff together and all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. He chose life outside of the father's will. He says, I want everything that belongs to me before you pass away, and I'm going to go do what I want to do. Go to John chapter 6 and verse 60. There is a point to this, I promise. These two passages, we're going to continue reading some of them a little bit later, but the concept that I'm trying to uh, get across here is that choice is real. The youngest son decided to choose his own desires and will over the father's desires and will. In John chapter 6, there's a story uh, here. Jesus just got done talking about, uh, I was talking to Adam about it this morning, about um, he is the bread that comes down from heaven. And, and they said, is this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know this guy. I, how can he say I came down from heaven? And Jesus said, stop grumbling. No one can come to me unless they come to the Father. He's setting up who he is. He's setting up the fact that he is the son of God, that God has sent him here. He says, I am the bread of life. Here is the bread that comes from heaven, which a man may, not, may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down. And the Jews that were with him begin to sharply debate with him. It says, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus has this hard teaching. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my, blood and, or eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. So he's teaching this while he's in the synagogue at Capernaum, and the Pharisees are listening to this. And on hearing it, even some of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, as I understand it, when he's saying this is a hard teaching, it's not hard to understand what he's saying. It's hard to accept what he's saying, that he is the manna that came down from heaven that can live eternally. Would you agree with that? I think they got what he was saying. He is the bread of life that's going to sustain, sustain us. And the Pharisees are like, who is this guy? So even the... The disciples who were with him, they were grumbling about this. And Jesus says, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? What if you see me right here ascend into heaven? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus, I'm in verse 64. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. 
He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Look at verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples, it doesn't say many of the Pharisees, it says many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They made a choice. They had been following Jesus. At this point, if we flip back, um, he had already walked on water. He had already fed the 5,000. He had already uh, helped the Samaritan woman. He healed somebody at the pool. I mean, you look at the these stories that that happen in here, and then he gets this really difficult teaching, and it says many of them left. His disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They made a what? A choice. They made a choice whether or not to follow Jesus, whether or not to 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 take after his example and to make him their king. Now. There's another passage in Matthew, the parable of the sower, and we don't need to go to it, Matthew chapter 13, it's, well, let's just go to it, I have it in here. So in Matthew chapter 13, just not the whole, the whole passage, but uh, verse 18 through 22, am I in the right, oh, 13, I'm sorry, Matthew 13, I, I just gave away. Matthew 13, verses 18 through 22, it says, Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. And listen to why he falls away. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. And then the next one, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Both of those situations, both of those seeds, three of the four seeds that were planted, three of them, they were by choice. At least two of them. The deceitfulness of wealth choked it out and the persecution because of the word. They chose, it was just too tough. There's too many other things to worry about. There is this choice that comes along and they chose their will versus God's will. Now I recognize that this is a difficult teaching because it starts putting it on us. I, we, Grant drove to church today and we were backing out of the garage and, or he was backing out of the garage and there's a trash can right, right in the middle of the driveway. Okay? I don't know why it's sitting there. They were probably, I don't know what you were doing it, but anyway, it was sitting there, and then, they, so they back, he backs out, and I said, well, just pull over there so you can turn around. So he backs out and maneuvers and good, just hits the trash can a little bit, and, and then there's a, a trampoline, and so he has to go around the trampoline a little bit, and then he's just stuck there, and he's like, okay? And then, so he started, I don't know what, he's driving on the grass, and I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, you told me to come over. I said, no, I told you to go there, but to turn around, so... Make a choice on how you're going to do it. I'm going to let you do what you want to do after I give you the initial instruction. He's sitting here wanting to debate with me right now. I know he is. But he made a choice to do certain, a certain thing a certain way, which is learning. It's a learning thing, right? So we choose to do things. But here's the beauty of this. It is clear in Scripture that many humans have decided to walk away or not accept God's sovereign role in their life. Many are called, few are chosen. I mean, it says it clearly. Many are called, few are chosen. 
the parable of the sower, people walk away, they, they just they decide that it's too hard. Adam and Eve, Joseph's brothers, Israel, prodigal son, disciples, they left him at some point choosing a different direction, choosing their lives to follow the flesh and live in a kingdom ruled by themselves and not ruled by God. We see that through the entire Old Testament and we see that in the New Testament. However, we also see in Scripture, and this is the beauty. Remember I told you last week it's going to be a positive sermon? We're getting there. Okay? So, we see in Scripture that God is a God of redemption, He's a God of restoration, and He's a God of forgiveness. That's who God is. And we see that in Adam and Eve. He's a God of redemption, restoration, and forgiveness. We see that in Adam and Eve. We see that really strong in Genesis chapter 50 with Joseph. You know the story of Joseph's brothers. They were jealous. Joseph had these dreams. His dad's like, hey, what are you saying here? We're going to bow down to you. And he goes, hey, I'm just telling you about the dreams. And then he gives them a coat of many colors. And his brothers are jealous, so they throw him into a pit. They sell him to the Midianites. He goes through this very difficult period of life. I think it's 15 years or something. He goes through this very difficult time in life. And then in Genesis chapter 50, his, his brothers are worried because their dad dies. All of their dad dies. He dies. And they're concerned because um, they figure now that the dad's dead, he's going to get back at them for doing what they did. This here is what's called a gospel message hidden in an Old Testament story. Okay? This is a gospel message hidden in an Old Testament story. In verse 15, Genesis 50, 15 says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I asked you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. This is, you are about to hear the whole gospel message in three verses in Genesis chapter 50. This is the entire Bible wrapped up into three verses. This is why this is so important to read these stories, because you look at the details of the story, but you find the nugget right here in Genesis 50. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Who does that remind you of? Say it. Jesus, you intended to harm me and hang me on a cross, but God intended to uh, do this for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. This is the gospel message right here in three verses in Genesis chapter 50. It's a wonderful story. And so we see God having a redemptive mind, a restoring mind, and a forgiveness mind all in these three verses. And if you go to the the prodigal son, the parable of the lost son, you see the exact same thing in Luke chapter 15 when the son goes out and he lives this crazy life and he spends all his money 
And then he realizes, oh man, I don't have any money. My friends are gone. That's the way it works. My posse's gone. I've, I've blown, blown through all my money. And he says, I, I need some food. I can't eat. I'm in this country. There's a famine. And he goes and he hires himself to one of the citizens of that far off country. And he sent, the citizen sent this youngest son to go work in the field to feed his pigs. And he looked around and he's like, man, I just wish I could feed my stomach some of the, pod, the pods that the pigs are eating. But no one gave me anything. So he says, what am I doing here? My father's servants, my father's servants eat better than I'm eating right now. Why wouldn't I go back to my father's servant or my father and say, look, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've already taken my inheritance. I've already kind of done what I've done you wrong, but at least make me one of your servants so that I can eat better than the pigs. So what does he do? He goes back to the father. He turns around from his life of nastiness with the pigs and he turns around he repents in his mind and then he goes to the father in a very humble remorseful way but this is the part that we have got to understand of who this God is that we are singing to every morning when we come here this is the God who inspired this book This is the type of God He is, the Father. It says, while He was still a long way off. This passage gives me goosebumps because it is opposite of the type of God that we hear in other places. That God is a God of vengeance and of wrath and of meanness. No, this is a God that as soon as the Son turned and came to Him, the Father looked and saw His Son who was far off. And it says, He walked to His Son, went up to Him and said, I knew you were coming back. I knew you didn't want a king. I told you so. You deadbeat. Is that what it says? No. It says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And he says, The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father didn't even hear it. He said, quick, bring the fattened calf. Let's party. Let's celebrate that my son was lost and now he's found. That's the type of God that we have. And what was it based on? Choice. He chose to turn and go to the Father. And the Father was eagerly waiting. I can imagine the Father working in the field and constantly looking over the hill to see if there's a shadow line of His Son coming back. I can just picture that as a father with kids to just go, I wonder if He's going to come back okay. Titus goes and picks up Grant from work and I'm constantly looking out the window to make sure those lights are coming down the driveway because I think about them the entire time that they're gone driving on I-70. Lord, please, parents, you know what I'm talking about. Lord, please protect my son, please protect my daughter. That's the father here. That's God in this story. And that's the type of God that we worship. So again, are we, are we, choosing, are we choosing that way of life? Which this, this parable of the lost son is like the perfect example of godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to eternal life. Worldly sorrow leads to death. There's two types of sorrow you can have. You can have sorrow because you sinned against God. You can have sorrow just because, you know what, I got caught or it didn't feel good. 
But when we recognize who we sin against, our repentance is straight to the King of Kings and says, God, I'm sorry. And God's saying, I'm going to run to you. I'm going to come to you. Come on. Keep coming. I'll meet you. Let's go. And he wraps his arm around. That's, that's, who, that's who I see God in the Scriptures. One of my favorite passages in the entire Old Testament, I've read it, I don't know how many times from the pulpit, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we preached on it a little bit during the circumcision study about three or four weeks ago. If you haven't heard it, go to the podcast and listen to it on your drive. It's about an hour and five minutes long, or maybe ten. But So if you have a long drive, listen to it. I didn't mean to go that long, but I just kept going. Finally, Brian goes, this. And I, okay, amen, we're done. But in Deuteronomy chapter 30, they just got done talking about, Moses got done talking about the blessings and the curses that come from obedience, from choice. He says, you're going to have the blessings of God when you obey all that I've commanded you. And if you don't obey, you're going to have the curses that I'm promising you. And if you look at Deuteronomy 28, the first small percentage of the verses are blessings. And then the rest of Deuteronomy 28 is a long scripture about the curses that happen. And part of the blessings are, I'm going to bless the, the, your crops, the rain's going to come down, I'm going to bless the battles uh, that you fight, I, I'm going to make you prosperous, and, and you're going to have a fruitful womb. Those were the blessings that God said for obedience and I do believe, again, you've heard me say what's physical is spiritual. Do not hear me up here saying that this is a health and wealth gospel church because it's not. I believe many of us are going to go through hard times in life just because sometimes what, if you look at finances, God doesn't want you to be wealthy because he's more concerned about your eternity and he doesn't want you serving money over God. And so God's look, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so God is looking at us as, a, as his children but in the Old Testament, we have physical blessings that occur for obedience. We can't deny that. It's very clear in Scripture. And so what, how do we tie that into a spiritual blessing that we see in the New Covenant? Because like I said, I'm not saying that financial wealth or that rain's not coming down or fruitful womb or winning wars are not part of God's providence. I'm not saying that can't be part of God's providence, but I'm not saying that is the, the ultimate. If you're, if you're successful in these things, then you're living right. If you're not successful in these things, then you're not living right. That's not the New Testament. What is in the New Testament is blessings that we receive from God spiritually. A peace that transcends all understanding. A peace when we're living with God and we're focused on Him and we have these hard times and we struggle and we scream and we yell and we punch a wall, whatever we do, or we kick the dirt, and then we deep breath and go, God, i got to rely on you here. you got this. i got to rely on you to help me out here. And we receive a peace that transcends all understanding. Or a patience that people would consider virtuous. Less anger, more patience. A love for others that people can look at and go, wow, that is a very amazing Christ-like love. I think those are the blessings that people see and that God sees in us as we're growing and we're choosing Him. Is that making sense? A humble confidence that is palpable to ourselves and those around us. Why does He just seem so just comfortable and confident and, and at peace? Why, is she, why does she walk around just 
with this level of faith that is admirable. I think those are the blessings that God is saying, when you obey me, you're falling into this really good, like, perpetual motion of goodness and, and happiness that happens. Now, I'm not the preacher that's up here, the, the smiling, everything's great all the time, because it's not. Life's hard. Life's not easy. But when, when, when we choose life, when we choose God, when we choose to say, what would He do? I, can, I mean, I, I look in Scripture and I can say for my own life, the times that I've chosen Him are the times that I've been at most peace. That's all I, I mean, I'm just saying this, my, my personal experience, when I've chosen Him, and I, then I look at the writings of Scripture, and I go, man, we just, we choose Him. We repent of what we need to repent of. God's going to take care of us. He's running towards us. When I was probably 10 years old, four, 35 years ago, uh, we went to... The Four Corners. Anybody been to the Four Corners? Pretty cool place. You go now, it's... Bring your wallet. It's been pretty commercialized. When I was there 35 years ago, there was nobody. I mean, I think there was... Uh, we have pictures of it somewhere. And you've got, you know, this, the, the, the corners, the Four Corners. You've got Colorado and Utah and Arizona and New Mexico. And when we were there, it was just... There was, it was middle of nowhere felt like. There was this old dirt road that went there and then somebody had painted, poured a little concrete and painted Utah, Colorado. And I remember as kids, we, you know, we'd get on all fours and we're like, hey, I'm in four states. Or I'm like, hey, I'm in Colorado, New Mexico now. And I feel like sometimes, um, that's great, you're, you know, you're, you're in four states at one time, but uh, at the time I was a, my parents at the time were citizens of another state altogether. They weren't citizens in Colorado, Arizona, Utah, or New Mexico. They were citizens of, you know, California before they leave that place, thankfully. And um, I think in, in, in the church, a lot of times, we, we want to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and we want to be citizens of the world. Would you agree with that? Sometimes we kind of just want to be both sides of the fence. And this is a little bit of a challenging message here. This message, this verse here, when Jesus is uh, rebuking the Pharisees, he says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. God, it's an all or none deal. It, it, it's an all or none deal. And I, I think oftentimes people of faith and, and people that are considering the faith, they want to, they kind of want to have it their way 1% of the time and God's way 99% of the time. And from what I can see in Scripture, Jesus is saying, just, just choose me all the time. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. I'm not saying you're not going to struggle. I'm not going to say you're not going to, you know, have thoughts that you shouldn't have, or you're going to lose your temper, or, you know, whatever. We all have our idiosyncrasies that we deal with because we're in, we're in the sanctification process. And I'm much more mature Christian now than I was 20 years ago, and I'll probably say that for any one of you 
who became a Christian 20 years ago, as you stay in the Word, you become more Christ-like and you become sanctified. I'm not saying that you're not going to have struggles. But what I am saying is the Scripture is very clear about choosing Him. Having a godly sorrow. A godly sorrow. Sorry, God, I sinned against you. I lost my temper. I, you know, I, I said something about somebody I shouldn't have said. Whatever the case may be, that's a godly sorrow which leads to salvation. And the last verse we'll read in Joshua chapter 24. So I read all the verses that I put in your uh, notes there if you want to take them with you. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. You remember Joshua is who led the Israelites into the promised land. Moses wasn't allowed to. I believe Moses represented the, uh, the law. And Joshua represents the new covenant. Yeshua leads them into the promised land that he had promised Abraham long ago. And in Joshua 24, verse 14, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The, the beauty of that scripture is that there's an accountability and a personal choice, a personal decision. As the leader of my home, um, I'm going to plug here for the fathers. They're in the room. I believe it starts with you. That's what I believe. I can't expect my wife to lead me and our family on the road to Jesus. I hope that I hope that hits home hard. I really do. It starts with the fathers. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Be the example that you wish your kids to be and grow up one day. Whole another message about why is if you don't have a husband that's doing that, it's a whole another message. I don't want to sit here for too long, so I won't get there. But I will challenge my brothers to lead. Well, I am going to start end up on a really encouraging note. Uh, a couple nights ago, Josh and Leanne Lloyd came over to the house. We studied for a couple hours and had some good dinner. And she's been, uh, Leanne's been studying and reading some scriptures and really enjoying women's Bible study group uh, and getting encouraged and uh, getting supported through prayer. So for you ladies out there, you are awesome. So awesome. The Bible studies, and she's, just, she's tearing up right now thinking about this, the, the rock support that, that you ladies have been for her through prayer and through the hard times that are going through the family. But uh, she, she decided uh, she was a little frustrated at herself 
on that night because we didn't just go to the pond at 9 o'clock at night and baptize her in the pond. So this morning, uh, they're going to find some clothes. Brenda's got some clothes, and we're going to go down to the, either the river or our house around 2 o'clock. She wants to call her mom and brother um, to join if they can make it. But if you guys want to come join us, we're going to dunk her in either the river. Did you decide? Colorado River? Okay. Sounds good. Uh, at 2 o'clock, Redlands Parkway, uh, there's a there's a uh, boat ramp right there. We'll just walk down there. It's not too cold, but be good. There might be a little ice on the side, but we'll break it. So, uh, praise God for her heart and her desire to follow Jesus. I think that is one of the most uh, powerful moments that we can experience as humans here on earth. I think as Steve said it when Gavin Hanks, this is the side of heaven. This is the, the the most powerful thing we can experience as humans together. So um, if you guys want to join her in, in that, she'd love to welcome you and stay dry while she <laughs> gets wet. So, Alright. Uh, we have communion and then, and then uh, fellowship and you guys have a great Sunday. Love you guys.